Carpenter's Way. Half of us are here. I'm sure the others will fill in soon. Um, welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here. And so we'd like you to take a minute and welcome those around you. Give them a hug. Even those far across on the other side of the worship center, that's good too. <laughs>
Good morning. You know, I want to do that just once. I want to do that vamping thing where you can go real high. And you sing so good, Heather. Doesn't she sing good? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to make this about Heather this morning, but seriously, you guys, you guys are so stinking talented. And Justin, what the heck are you doing on the drums? You play the guitar. <laughs> do you ever just look at people and go, I, I just, I, I know I love them, but I really hate them. I mean, I just want to slap them. They're so gifted. But man, when you, uh, I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to actually turn on my mic down here and I'm going to go, hi, yes, and everybody will go, ooh, Heather's off. <laughs> no. Oh, I don't know. You know, it is, uh, it is interesting as, as I sit out here, and we meet uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings. We're here usually around 7.30 to get things set up. We have an enormous group of talented people. There's about 15 or 20 team members that, that make all this happen. Some of you watch on the internet. We've got uh, every week about 25 to 50 different computers all across the country that log into our services, and during the week they watch. That doesn't just happen. We have people that uh, kind of put themselves out there because you don't know they're there until they screw up. And, uh, man, we just, we just appreciate them all so much. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's cool. Lots of, lots of opportunities. Uh, lots of, uh, when, when you're a part of a local church, uh, that doesn't mean you attend. It means you participate. And uh, it's, it's what we do. It's what the body of Christ does. Uh, we've kind of turned this into a spectator sport when it's actually a serving sport. You come to serve others and build them up. And I want to encourage you in that. Get involved. And you may not be uh, a singer or a, a, tr a horn player. I almost said trumpet, but there's a saxophone. And, and uh, you may not play the piano, but man, there are, there are areas of service and ministry for you that is very, very important. So jump in and be involved. And, and uh, anyway, good morning. That was the message free. That was free this morning, a little extra. And it won't cost you anything. Would you open your worship guides? And as you do, if you are visiting with us this morning, welcome to Carpenter's Way. Uh, we're awfully, awfully glad you're here. And uh, we are in the middle of a study, actually middle. We're 30 weeks into a study on the life of Jesus from all four Gospels. We're putting them in chronological, trying to do the best we can to put them in chronological order, the, the ministry of Jesus, and kind of trying to figure out who he is from the scriptures. We, we are uh, fully convinced that we have recreated Jesus in the image of our country, in the image of our of our. Uh, uh, of our, I don't know, our doctrinal groups. Uh, Jesus is a Baptist. Jesus, if you're Baptist, he's Assembly of God pastor. If you're Assemblies of God, he's a, he's American Jesus, if, and and he's not. I mean, he he is he is who he is, and it's it's incumbent upon his children to discover him from the scriptures. And so that's what we're doing right now. Like I said, we're in week 30. Uh, we're almost 25 percent of the way through. Uh, so we'll be 130 weeks into this. And I, I'm I'm teasing. I have no idea how many weeks it's going to be, but we'll just keep going until until he resurrects and uh, uh, ascends into heaven. And uh, then we'll jump into Acts, and we'll just keep going and figure out how we got to where we are today and see if we can't learn some more stuff. So thanks for being here. Glad you're here. Uh, uh, some important stuff, Carpenter's Way folks, in the worship guide that I do want to highlight. Um, we are not a political family. We are the children of God, and this is a small embassy of the kingdom of heaven. However, even though our real citizenship is children of the king of kings and is in the eternal kingdom... Uh, we also have been given the privilege to participate in our country, and we do that by way of voting. Um, some of us think we do that by way of screaming on Facebook, just so you know nobody's listening, but, but we do get to vote, and that makes a difference. And having said that, we want to encourage you to vote. What you feel, uh, we're not telling you how to vote. We're not telling you who to vote for. We are telling you to be actively involved, study the scriptures, pray for those that are running for office, and, pr and, and choose the one you think best reflects the values of the king, and, uh, and vote. 
Having said that, we, it's not a cheap encouragement, but the next two weeks, um, uh, Jim and Sharon Kennedy are registrars for elections, and we would encourage you to register to vote if you have not registered to vote. They can help you if you have any questions about the United States government. Jim would be glad to answer those questions. Jim, Jim actually was the second vice president of the United States of America, and we're privileged to have him in the church. This is going to affect your giving, isn't it, Jim? Just to, that joke, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, we, we are honored. They, they, every, every time there's an election, like once a year, probably every couple of years, they, they set a table out there. And uh, we want you to be actively involved, and then we want you to go on with your life. Um, because our real hope is in, is in the kingdom of heaven. However, we can bless this culture by being actively involved. So uh, after service this morning and next Sunday as well, they're going to be out there, or Sharon will be out there and registering you or answering questions, so please ask them. Um, uh, also, another announcement. Uh, quarterly, we have what we call What is Carpenter's Way or Carpenter's Way 101 classes. That's how you become a member of Carpenter's Way. You go through that class. It, it starts at 9.30 on Sunday morning in the, in the library, and it lasts until about 11.45, and you'll meet all the elders, and we, uh, we give you a history of the church. We also talk about why we do what we do and why we don't do some of the things that you might normally be used to. Uh, Jeff, uh, the executive pastor, oversees children's student ministry, and myself teach the second hour, and that's the doctrinal conversation. But this is a chance to bring your questions and interact with us. Even if you're not ready to become a member, we would encourage you, if you're interested in why we do what we do, that's, that's a great place to find out. So that's next Sunday morning. And uh, uh, jump, we want to jump into that. Um, uh, prayer, there's a prayer guide in there, worship guide. Also, uh, we are about to come out with a new Carpenter's Way app and, uh, and a new database program that we've been working on. And Wendy would like, I know you wouldn't do it if I asked, but Wendy and Dolores, that should make you feel guilty. Just saying the name Dolores should make you feel shame and guilt if you don't participate. If you would, Dolores would like you to... Right, Dolores? Thank you. Did you hear her? She said yes. Now do it. Um, even while Heather is singing, or I'm, I'm preaching, I'm just kidding. While we're preaching, would you just fill this out and drop it in the offering plate as you leave? We want to make sure we have your accurate information. Because on the new app, there is actually um, going to be uh, an opportunity for us. We have a, a guide so you can be in contact with each other. It will be locked unless you're a member of our church or actively involved in our church. So it will keep privacy, but we want this information accurate so we don't call uh, somebody else thinking we're calling you or texting and stuff like that. So, hey, do that. Right, Dolores? Or she will find you and kill you in the name of Jesus. She will give you a chance to get saved right before your death. So <laughs> this is why they don't let me do announcements very much. Okay, one more thing. Ministry opportunities. As I mentioned before, uh, don't just come, serve. Serve others. Minister to people around you. Uh, that does not mean you have to take Heather's place. You don't want me to talk about you anyway? It's going to negatively affect her giving too. So um, here, we, we, the, the ministries of the church do not all consist of singing, teaching, uh, stuff like that. There's lots of stuff that goes on. And we have a couple new opportunities. One opportunity is uh, Carpenter's Helping Hands Ministry. Um, we are very excited about this. Kitty Bounds just began this ministry. The information you need is in there. But basically, if you're a crafty person and uh, you want to you encourage others, they do things for um, 
ministries at Carpenter's Way. They're going to do things for missionaries, uh, for VBS, just ways that we can encourage people. And, and uh, there's a list of things that they would like donated so that they can build that up. If you are interested in being a part of that ministry, you can either just show up, information here, uh, be involved in what they're requesting on here, or you can talk directly to Kitty. Her phone number's in there and her email, so talk with her. This is a pretty cool ministry. So especially if you're at a position where you don't feel like you can teach or anything like that, or uh, be involved in other ministries, or you're not, you're not like Jim or Melinda. I won't mention Heather anymore. Um, and then the last thing I want to mention is we are in need of, uh, of folks to be involved in our children's ministry, as we always are, because that's discipleship. We want to disciple our kids. And uh, I know that a lot of you like to wait till you're asked. You have officially been asked. And Dolores will kill you if you don't serve. Right, Dolores? Dolores. She informed me about six months ago that she's the only person that can't be fired in the church by me. She said that you would all leave. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you right now. All right, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time as we take our offering, and uh, we're going to commit the rest of our service to the Lord. We're going to focus on Him now. So let's move away from the business of life and church, and let's, let's focus on the Lord. And, and uh, for those of you who are visiting... You don't need to give. We're just glad you're here. Jim and Heather are going to pick up, the vo pick up your place. So we want to encourage you. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And, and we're so thankful that we can gather together this morning as a family. This is not a religious gathering. This is a gathering of children of God to spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's why we gather. And Father, the text this morning was very moving to me this week. I was reminded how much you love people. You love rich people well-suited in society, admired. You hurt for them. You have compassion for them. And you love poor people who are at the end of themselves. Father, would you just now take our hearts and focus them completely on you? God, I thank you for those um, that have come today and those that are watching online. We think of the group of, of ladies that have taken their daughters to this daughter's conference. We pray you bless them and keep them safe and we have folks traveling today and be with them. And Lord Jesus, as we come into this place, spur us on, encourage us, and we go out of this place, use us to tell others about your grace and your mercy. So we focus on you now. We turn our eyes to you and ask you to bless us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. If you feel like standing and uh, join us on this one that probably everyone knows pretty well, that'd be great. But if you don't, no pressure.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Thank you. 
Uh, let's pray to God. Uh, Lord, we, that's, that song really uh, expresses my heart this morning. You're kind of old news to us. We, we grew up in a culture that celebrates Christmas and Easter, and even though we have lots of trappings, the truth is we come back to you. Most people in this culture and community have been to VBS Most people in this community have walked an aisle at some point or prayed a prayer. We kind of feel like hell's been dealt with, so we feel safe. And we've kind of gone on with our own life. We no longer are in awe of you. I pray you'll make us in awe of you again. In your holy name we pray, amen. It has been a crazy couple days for the disciples of Jesus, the 12 following him. After watching him drill, be drilled by the religious leaders, after accusing him of being demon-possessed, then they watch his family try to take him away. Then they watch him teach from the side of a boat so as not to be smashed or pushed into the water. And then it's late at night, so Jesus tells them that they're going to minister on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. They get in the boat, and he's, they're taking him across. And as he sleeps with his head on a cushion, a, a rowing cushion in the back of the boat, they start to drown. The boat is sinking in the storm. So they try to wake him up by screaming at him, Don't you care we're going to drown? And he wakes up, and he looks at him, and he speaks to the storm, Stop. And then he looks at the disciples and says, Stu, you have no trust in me after everything you've seen. And it tells us that they ask themselves openly, who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And then there's that awkward four-mile-long ride to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Four miles of quiet. I don't know if Jesus slept the rest of the way. I don't know if he just stared at him. I know that they stared at each other looking forward to the shoreline coming up when they could get out of that boat. The problem is when they get to the shoreline on, as the sun is rising up, this happens in Luke 8. They arrived in the region of Gerizines across from the Lake of Galilee, and as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirits to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and he rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. 
Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. I mean, can you just imagine what the 12 were thinking? I mean, this, this last, there's a lot of stuff, um, as I've told you before. There's, there, there is a, a lot of the stories of Jesus, we don't really know where they fit into his ministry and, and the time period. But boy, there's some that sure do. And as I mentioned before, of all the four Gospels, Luke's Gospel is the one that tries to keep them in chronological order because he's making a case that the followers of Jesus, who are called at this time followers of the way, which is a cool name for following Christ because he said, I am the way. So they were followers of the way. And he's making a case to Roman governorship that it was not a cult and a problem for the Jews or for the Roman leadership. They weren't trying to overthrow the government. They were followers of the way. So he wrote Luke in order to make a case that this is not some rogue group of people. So it's, a, it's mostly in chronological order, although it leaves some of the stories in the other Gospels out, and we're trying together to fit them back in. But the last few weeks, these are absolutely about 48 hours or 72 hours in the ministry of Jesus, and it has been nuts. These guys, just when they think that, that the crazy is over, it gets crazier, and they're watching this. Maybe there's times where you have felt yourself like they did. I have given up everything to follow this guy, and it is not going the way I thought it would go. Now, I just want to warn you, the fastest growth among Christian dogma today is to tell you that not only can you have God and everything you want, and that is a lie. I want to be clear. And I know there are some who go, man, why are you harping on this? Because it is making inroads into Christianity. Not real, genuine followers of Christ, mind you, but people who follow their own way in the name of Jesus. If your whole focus on following Jesus is so you can get a healing or you can get rich, you've never read the New Testament. That's what the New Testament tells us. We give up everything to follow him. And I want to make it clear that any form of Christianity that tells you that you can have a right relationship with God and your own dreams, desires, and wishes. Well, that's what Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden. You won't die. Actually, if you eat that fruit he told you not to eat from, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil, right and wrong. You can help him. You can be like God. And I'm going to say this without having studied how many books but I believe that today most Christian books are written on how you can manipulate God into getting your way. And if you can manipulate the Holy One into getting your way, He isn't God, you are. He's either sovereign and in control or He's not. We either get to know Him and bow the knee or we're just like the Jews who choose to reject Jesus because He is a disappointment to their own dreams. And I, it's important to understand that Jesus Christ freaked out the disciples at every turn. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who was freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerizines begged Jesus to go away, to leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. He did what they asked. Now we have an understanding here at Carpenter's Way, and I, I want to take a moment and, and, and explain it for those of you who are new. We have an understanding that what we're going to do here as a church, as a local church body, as a family of faith, is we're going to study the scriptures. 
And my job is to be as accurate as I can, understanding that I'm not to be trusted. Do not trust me. Trust the Scriptures. My job is to teach you the Scriptures, most importantly, how to handle the Scriptures. But I understand that I'm only about 99.999% right. Okay, maybe about 70%. And one of the things I love about pastoring in this church the last 14 plus years is that you give me the freedom to actually teach the Scriptures. You can think about that because most pastors don't have that freedom. I would say do it anyway, but that's not how many people live. You allow me to teach the scriptures even if they go against our tradition and our culture. And yet, I have encouraged you. And we've built our whole Bible study model. For those of you who aren't involved in Carpenter's Way Adult Bible Studies, the model in most of the classes, I think there's eight classes, and I think all but two actually take the text that I'm studying, and they talk about it. And the reason is I want you to disagree with me. I want you to get into the scriptures, and I want you to find out what it says for itself. And I encourage you to straighten me out when I'm wrong. I really do. I mean, I know that sounds very humble of me. I am a very humble and gentle and meek. Having said that, I, I really mean this. And I don't like to be wrong like anybody, but sometimes I say things, and I make conclusions that simply don't fix, fit truth. And I, I don't mean to be wrong, but every once in a while, somebody comes up and says, hey, I have a question about it. And that happened last week. And so I'm going to take a moment and I want to correct something that I said last week because I was wrong. I was incorrect. I said last week in light of this that when Jesus gets in his boat and goes away, and I, I was in my effort to take you to Isaiah and say today is the day of salvation, which Jesus also said, to, uh, uh, it says give your life to him while he can be found, while he's near. Those are the verses in Isaiah I showed you. I got a little hyper in that, and I also made it sound like if you miss the opportunity, then your opportunity is gone. Well, I want you to know that what I lack to say is that's not right. And last week, Katie Lawrence, who did not want me to mention her name, so I won't, <laughs> uh, nervously said, I have a question about your message, and she was right. I was wrong. The truth is that after this, well, put up Luke 8, 38. The man who had been freed from the demons begged him to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, you go back to your family and you tell them everything God has done for you. So he went through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus has done. While Jesus physically did leave these people, he left a missionary. He left a mission. He left this guy. The other gospels, three of which tell the story, actually say that he went to 10 villages that made up the region and he proclaimed the good things of all, uh, that he had done. And they all apparently knew this demon-possessed guy. They had seen what God was doing in his life. They listened to him and many were in awe of the works of Jesus. So while I said last week in my effort to get you to run to Jesus while he's bringing conviction, and I, I, I want to I add, that's a good thing because after five of the 10 um, plagues in the Exodus, he has 10 plagues. The first five, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The final five, Scripture tells us that God hardened his heart. Now, to be clear, while you have your last, while you are breathing, you can run to Jesus. What you don't know is how long you'll be breathing. And I've, I've shared this story with you before that there was a young man who used to come to Carpenter's Way and we had become friends. We were members of LiveWell at the time and he was a, a, a lifeguard there. And uh, I was sitting one day with Julie and my kids and he was at the side and we were just talking and, and I asked him where he was in his relationship with the Lord. I was glad to have him in Carpenter's Way. And he says, I'm still in searching mode. And I remember that morning uh, telling him, well, 
Don't, don't get stuck searching. Satan wants you to get stuck searching. He, he wants you there because then you're not surrendered. He got in a car accident that week and died. D.L. Moody uh, was preaching the gospel throughout the city of Chicago before the Great Chicago Fire. And history tells a story that bef- uh, the, the day before the Great Chicago Fire, he was preaching and he said, I want you to go away and think about the things that I just taught. And next week we'll gather again right here and I want you to be prepared to respond to the gospel. The next day the Great Chicago Fire took place and they had no more rallies. And it was at that point he said, I will never delay again the opportunity to offer people to respond to the gospel of Christ. So I want to say that in my energy last week to convince you that today is the day of salvation and in the biblical truth of that, I overspoke my, my case. Jesus left a missionary Jesus never abandons you until breath is gone and there is no more opportunity after you die to respond to the gospel. But I was wrong last week and I want to make it clear. The word of God clearly says, come to me. Come to him. Run to him today. Now, I do not want to God never gives up on you. Ever, ever. Until you face him as the judge. He's begging you. And I'm not just talking to the lost. I'm talking to the saved soul. It is time for God's people to bow the knee again. This was never about getting saved. This was about being adopted. And I think I've made that case to you. Ephesians 1.5, his unchanging plan was to make you his child, to adopt you into his family through the blood of his son. This was not as energetic as we get as preachers to try to get you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. This was not about you being saved from hell. This was about you being saved from your nature and having to spend eternity away from God. This is about you being part of his family. Today is the day of salvation. And I want to I commend Katie. She was right. Never, ever, ever tolerate bad doctrine, even if it has good intentions. You with me? This is just a family. That's all we are. Do not believe all the hype. One of the reasons I hate being up here is it, it feeds that cultural agenda that I'm up here and you're down there. I am not up here. I am down here with you. We're doing this together. We're walking this journey. We're discovering Jesus. And i got to be honest with you. When I read these stories, I feel bad for the disciples. Until I realize that my questions are the same as theirs. I doubt him. I wonder. I, I get confused. I, what do you want from me, Jesus? And his answer is always, just a little more. Well, what do you want? I'm not going to tell you. You just have to follow me. As Larry Brevard likes to say, you put your eyes on the back of the rabbi, and you don't take him off of him. You know what uh, Julie and I were talking this week? What's cool about following Jesus, putting your eyes on the back of his head, is that even in the face of death, even in the face of death, you're still following him. He's on the other side of that. There's joy. That's where peace comes from, my friends. That's where peace comes from. If you die not knowing him, and him not knowing you, you die alone to face whatever comes next. But if you are a child of God, with your eyes on the back of his head, walking daily in his shadow, death is just a doorway of the next part of the walk with him. Does that make sense? Walk with him. Walk with him. Back to our story. In Mark 5, we pick it up. It picks up the story. After, after Jesus leaves this guy and he goes around and he's preaching the gospel, that night they, or that day they get in the boat, they go to the other side. Mark 5, 21. Jesus got into the boat again and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered him, uh, around him on the shore. Then the leader, a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Please take note. Picture this. You need to Im- image these. And in light of everything you learn, all of these stories build. What I'm tr- one of the things I want you to understand as we go through the stories is I want you to start 
just, just knowing the culture so well. This is a synagogue leader. The synagogue predominantly rejected Jesus. This guy is putting it on the line. Not only does he go, hey, I need help, but he bows the knee to Jesus. What a radically bold thing. This guy is desperate. He's pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please, come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. While one crowd couldn't be more excited to rid themselves of Jesus, another crowd on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee is begging for him to come, waiting for his arrival in a large crowd on the seashore. One of those awaiting Jesus was a guy named Jairus, who was most likely a lay official of the synagogue, responsible for its physical care and management, as well as making sure that all, all was ready for their worship services and the ministries that they would perform. Basically, what you have here is a Steve Hicks way back in the time. Apparently, not all religious leaders or synagogue leaders rejected Jesus or hated him, especially when you're desperate and he's the only one that can save your kid. Jairus would have been wealthy, he would have been well-placed and well-liked within his community, well-respected. But the fact that his 12-year-old daughter was dying meant that despite the pressure he would face from the religious community for going to Jesus and getting on his knees in front of him, he wanted, to help, he wanted help from the healer, so all of that didn't matter. So he runs to Jesus, and Jesus responds to his call while walking towards Jairus' home through a tight crowd. And I want you to vision the crowd. The, hint, the sense in the Greek is that they're touching him. Everybody's leaning in. Jesus, um, I have heard it said that the reason why Jesus spoke from boats was because of creativity, and it was a nice setting. That's not why he spoke offshore in a boat. He spoke offshore in a boat because the crowds were pushing up against him. They, they so badly wanted to hear him and be healed by him. They were pushing in, and it was pushing him into the water. So he asked the disciples to bring a boat. He got in the boat. He went out about 10 or 15 feet like a, like a platform, and he spoke from there. This is the same. Jarius comes to him begging and pleading. The crowd must have been silent as he got on his face. Please, I beg you, save my daughter. And Jesus looks, uh, looks compassionately upon this guy and starts following him. But as he's following, you get the sense that the crowd is gathering around and pushing up against him. While they're walking back to his house, though, verse 25 says a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Just a side note, what does she think is going to heal her? His clothing. Just take note. She's superstitious. She's heard. She thinks there's magic. Immediately, when she touched him, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So much bad doctrine comes out of that line. Oh, my goodness. It just explains why Jesus turns around. That's all. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my robe? Now, you got to listen to me here, otherwise all of you are going to come and approach me this week. What happens here is that while Jesus is working his way through a crowd, following this wealthy, popular dude, 
to help his daughter who's dying. His journey is interrupted by a poor, very sick, ceremonially unclean girl because she has an issue of blood. So she's not allowed to even be socially there. This woman is breaking the religious law of the Jews to even be there. She sneaks up through the crowd, and she's also desperate for healing. So you have two completely separate, on separate ends of the social spectrum, a man who's loved, revered, and wealthy, and a woman who's nothing, has nothing, has been used by doctors to raise their wealth and has not been helped. Having expired all of her medical options and all of her wealth, she's obviously heard about this miracle guy and that even touching his garment might help her. So she does. She doesn't think he'll talk to her. She doesn't think he'll have time for her. Plus, when she sees him with this guy, this popular wealthy guy, she doesn't think he'll take five minutes with her. So she just goes up and she grabs his garment. Some people say that it's his prayer shawl. Uh, one, of the, one of the tassels off of, tassels off of it. But wherever she touches, she touches his garment, and her bleeding stops, and she's immediately healed. And God asks a really weird question. This is God asking this question. Who just touched my robe? Now, look, in our journey, now we're trying to be honest here, in our journey to find out who Jesus of the Scripture is, in our journey to discover who God is as much as we can know him, we have to be honest about what we see and hear. And there are times in Scripture where God asks stupid questions. I'm sorry, Lord. He did not strike me down. He does. Ridiculous questions. Questions that he knows the answer to. For instance, when Adam and Eve had sinned, it's the cool of the day when they apparently walked with God every day. Jesus come, or God comes into the garden and he asks, Adam, Eve, where are you? Because they were hiding because they had sinned and they were naked. Surely God knew where they were. Surely he knew they sinned. But he asked a stupid question or a question that could be seen as stupid. Not because he didn't know, but because he plays with people like you play with your grandchild. I'm going to count to five and then I'm going to find you. You know exactly where the kid is. Why? Because their butt is sticking out. That's why you know. Butt is a Greek word, so it's okay to use from the pulpit. It's butt oi. It means rear end, hind side, back side of body. The rear end is sticking out, and you, but you play because you love that child, and you want a relationship with that child. You don't go, that's so stupid. I know exactly where you are. You don't say that. You've got to be a better hider. You don't do that. You're, you're playing with your kids, and God's goal is to have a relationship with people. So sometimes he plays people. Jesus knew exactly who had touched him. This isn't the only times, though, not the Garden of Eden in here. Jesus had done that. Uh, actually, Jesus knows that Judas is going to turn against him, right? He wasn't in the meeting, but he actually at the table, he dips, he dips the bread into the wine and he hands it to Judas and he says, what you're about to do, you go do quickly. He sends him onto his task. We've already seen Jesus on at least two occasions answer questions of the Pharisees that they never verbalized. It says that he knew what they were thinking, and he answered their question. So Jesus is God. He is not stupid. He's not even taking a survey. He's actually discipling his boys. You see, as much as Jesus came to save sinners, he also came to prepare his followers to reach sinners as well. And the disciples have no clue up to this point who he is. I mean, the last 48 hours has proven that. Every time they turn around, he's doing something, and they're going, what was that? From casting out 2,000 demons 
to making the storm stop with just a word. All these things take place, and, and, and they're always asking, who is he? What's going on? How can you do that? Well, this is no exception. So Jesus is walking through the crowd, this woman towards Jairus' house to raise his daughter from the dead or, or heal her. On the way, some woman touches his garment. She's immediately healed. Jesus asks the dumb question, who touched me? And here's why. Look what the disciples say right after he says, who touched me in verse 31. His disciples said to him, and I add in a sneering voice, <laughs> what? I'm adding that for emphasis. Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you even ask who touched me? These boneheads don't even know when to keep their mouths shut. This last 24 hours has not taught them to just watch this guy. And he knew that too. You see, this is as much for them as it is for Jairus' daughter and for the woman with the issue of blood. And I'm going to argue in a second that he wasn't really even concerned with her issue of blood. Sure, he wanted to heal her, and he does, but I want to remind you that that crowd was probably full of people who pressed in because they were sick and needy, and it doesn't say he healed any of them. Well, why her? She had more faith than the rest of the crowd. That's bunk. Jesus had determined that this was going to be a teachable moment for the disciples and a wonderful moment for her. Watch what happens. Verse 32. He kept on looking around to see who had done it. <laughs> now, now, poor Jarius is like, whoop, whoop, whoop. My kid's dying. Poor guy. In the meantime, the disciples are like, oh, man, he's really lost his mind. I mean, forgetting what they've seen the last 48 or 72 hours. And Jesus is going, who, who touched me? And they're all like, which one of you touched me and got healed? I love it. Verse 33, then the frightened woman. Now, we've been going through this text now for about four weeks. Have you noticed all the fear? The fear of the disciples when the storm is calm, the fear of the people when the demon-possessed are rid of their demon, the fear of this woman after she's healed. When you come in contact with God, my friends, really as he is, he's terrified. John, in the throne room of heaven, Isaiah, the prophet, when he comes face to face with the goodness of God, the fear of the Lord isn't a bad thing. It's a reverence of who he is. It reminds us to bow the knee. And I think that as we have pendulum swung away from just the fear of the Lord without grace to the, fear of, to the grace of God without the fear, we've got to come back to the middle and remember who we're dealing with here. He's not your buddy. He's not your boyfriend. He's not your pal. He's not your co-pilot. He's God. Who calms the sea with a word, who casts out demons without saying a word, they terrified him there. Who even his presence heals the sick. Jesus is so cool. <laughs> he sets the disciples up. He sets us up so that we can ask him who he is, so we can realize how, much, how little we know about him. He's being squeezed in from all sides. Somebody touches him and one gets healed. He kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. It actually worked. She came and fell to her knees in front of him and she told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? Daughter, sweetheart. It's your faith that made you well. 
It wasn't my garment. It wasn't magic. You put your trust in me. And that's what made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You see, unlike most of the people that Jesus healed up to this point, and I probably haven't made this emphatically enough, most of the people that have been healed have actually left Jesus, just like the guy at the pool of Bethsaida. They don't become followers or worshipers of Jesus. They just wanted a healing. Like the ten lepers where only one comes back, the Samaritan guy to bow, they don't want a relationship with Jesus. They just want their life to be better. They won't bow the knee to Jesus. They just want him to fix their problem. This woman runs back to him when he asks her to. She bows the knee, terrified, wondering if he's going to reject her. And what he says in the Greek is so clear. Let me try to translate it a different way. He looks at her and he says, Honey, it wasn't my garment that healed you today. It was your faith in me. You have been made whole now. Walk into your peace. She came to stop a physical problem that had ruined her life. But he made her whole. Not just physiologically, but spiritually as well. And my dear friends, I want to remind you, I want to say something here. You're going to have to think about this. But it was not walking an aisle that got you saved. It was not putting yourself in a baptism pool or having a pastor do it that got you saved. It was not bowing the knee when your knees touched the ground. None of that saves you. It is your faith in Jesus. It's your faith in Him. I'm pointing at the picture. Him, His name. Do you know His Hebrew name, the word Yeshua, means salvation. Jesus is the Savior, not the Baptist church aisle or the hymn that's sung or the pastor that convinces you. It's Jesus. It's not even you figuring out for yourself. It is Jesus. All this woman knew was that there were rumors that this guy could heal people of any disease, and she's desperate, so she goes to him. Oh, my goodness, she seems as surprised as anybody that it works. And then he calls for whoever touched him. Do you know what he's doing? He's giving her, knowing who she is, an opportunity to come and bow the knee. If she turns and walks away, that's all she gets, physical healing. But I want to remind you that that woman is not alive today. I looked all over Israel, and she would not come and share with you her testimony. She is dead. This is not about physical healing because the problem with being physically healed is you die again. That's the problem. We have made it. People, people, I want to be general. People are making it their passion to convince you that God in heaven is waiting for you to figure out how to get his power so your life can be better. I got news for you. He came so that your eternal life could be better even if this life gets more difficult. That's what he meant when he said, if anyone wants to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. If any man doesn't deny himself, he's not worthy of me. If you don't leave your family for me, if you're not willing to put all behind you and follow me, you're not a follower. Lots of people were healed. And a few weeks ago in a message when Jesus is talking to the Jewish crowd, he tells them, I did all these miracles among you in Bethsaida, and, and, all, and he lists a bunch of places. He said, do you realize if I would have done one of these miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have bowed. You haven't bowed. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you in eternity because you have rejected me and replaced me with a good life. That is what Satan is doing in the church today, just like he did with the Jews. Do not settle for health when you can have eternal life. He may heal your body, but he may not, but he is still good. He is still the Savior. 
I want to point out that lots of other people in that crowd wanted to be healed, but we have no history that any of them were. Why? Because God had a divine appointment with a woman with an issue of blood so that we could look at two facts. He loves rich people, and he's following this guy, this popular, rich, religious guy to his house to heal his daughter, and in the middle of his journey, he stops to heal a poor nothing. You are all, including myself, in one of the spectrum of that, and I'm telling you, all you got to do is call out to him. And he may or may not heal you, but I will tell you what, he will offer you eternal life. It's exactly what he does in this story. He makes her whole. Honey, it's not my garment that healed you today. My friends, it was not your walking of an aisle or praying a prayer. It was your faith in Jesus. And I want to say something to you in the Bible Belt, because I know a lot of people watch online too. If your only answer to how do I know I'm saved is I walked an aisle, Walking an aisle will not save you. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you have not seen his work in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not talking about tongues. That's another satanic distraction. I'm not saying tongues isn't okay. I'm simply saying that that is evidence of your faith is not evidence of your faith. The fruit of the Spirit is not how many people you lead to Christ. The Baptist family, we were taught that as children, weren't we? The fruit of the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. That is supernatural life change from the inside out. That's how we know the Holy Spirit is present. And the thing that makes you a child of God is the baptism by the Holy Spirit into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes you saved. It's not walking an aisle or touching the hem of His garment. It's actually putting your faith in him. My brothers and sisters, where is your faith placed? T.D. Jakes? John MacArthur? Your pastor? Don't trust me. Go to God. Go to God. Just like this woman did. So he makes her whole. But the story isn't over. If you recall, Jesus is in the middle of a big crowd. Everybody's pushing in on him, on his way to Jairus' house because his daughter is dying. I was thinking this week about what this guy must have been thinking. I wonder if he was thinking, it's really hard for me, a man of the synagogue, to actually come to you, and you are going very slow. I mean, I understand that people want to see you. I mean, I, I kind of picture, and I, I don't know this, but I picture him moving through the crowd, holding, come on, Jesus, come on, come on, move away. My daughter's dying. Move away, please, please move away. And a woman comes up behind him and touches, and Jesus says, move away, and he looks back, and she's 25 yards back, and he, he's talking to some poor, sick, unclean woman. It doesn't say he interrupted him, but boy, I think he must have wanted to. crowd was impeding his way. This woman is slowing his process, and his worst fears are realized. Please pay attention to this. You are being told that God would never let you hurt. Not true. Mark 8, 35, while he was still speaking with her, he knew that this girl was on her deathbed. He stops and has a conversation. That hurt Jairus. While he was speaking with her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Ah, now you know the doctrine. Jesus can't raise the dead. He can only heal the sick. 
But Jesus overheard them. Oh, Jesus is such a cool cat. He overhears them talking. And he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Dude, hey, look at me. Look here. Don't look at them. Look. Don't be afraid. Just you, you, you stay with me. Just have faith. Jesus' delay with his unclean woman cost him his daughter's life. Hopelessness is the worst feeling ever. But Jesus, knowing that now Jairus, the rich man, and I, I want to I, I attack another lie in the church. Jesus does not favor poor people over rich people. He doesn't favor unreligious people over religious people. He doesn't favor everybody you're not. He doesn't favor illegal aliens or legal citizens of the United States. He doesn't favor either of them. He came to save sinners. We have hijacked the gospel for our own pet thing. Jesus Christ would drink out of plastic straws even if they got stuck in dolphin's nose. <laughs> See, that was awesome. It's not true, but it's awesome. He would have used a paper straw until he got angry, and then he would have healed it. It would have turned into a tree, and then he would have sucked up through the tree, and then he would have planted it, it would have grown, and we'd be eating fruit off of it for the rest of our lives. Oh, squirrel. Okay, I'll get back to the point. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. This is why Pam sits up here to remind me of my message. What Jesus says to this guy is this. Listening to these people surround him going, the rabbi can now go home. Let him go on to people who are still struggling. Don't bother him anymore. Jesus looks at him and he says, listen, Jarius, look at me. You had a certain amount of faith that knew that I could probably help your daughter. Don't give up on that. Stick with me. Don't give up that faith. You trust me. I'm the guy. I'm a, you just watch me. Jarius, you just watched me heal a woman without even knowing her. You watch that. Don't stop believing in me. Verse 37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anybody go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. You think this was really about Jarius and a woman with an issue of blood? <laughs> He's teaching his boys. You think, you think demon uh, exorcism is cool? Watch this. You think me calming the water is cool? Watch this. He's thinking inside, Father, they don't believe in me very much, so let's raise the dead. When they come to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing. You probably know by now that in the Jewish culture, you would hire professional wailers at funerals. Did you know that? So these people would come, they would be paid, it was part of the ceremony, and they would wail. And why would they do that? So the community would know that the person had died, and so there was proper mourning of their life. You also are probably aware that you would bury a Jewish person before sundown with holes in the bottom of the box so that the worms, because that's where the term, from dust you came and dust you shall return. The Jews deeply believed that God was the creator, and the body was just the body, and they had a soul. And so when the body is gone, we take their bones, we put it in a small box about this big, and we put it in our family tomb. Why? Because they're just the bones. It just keeps our family together, much like you have graveyards by your family's name. They would have a tomb, and they would put the bones in there after the worms had eaten away the skin, because that's just the flesh. So he arrives, and the professional mourners are outside. He saw the commotion. Verse 39, when he went inside, that would be Peter, James, John, Jarius, Jesus, he asked <laughs> another dumb question. You can look at it. It's on the screen. Why is all the commotion weeping? She's not dead. She's sleeping. Verse 40. Just take a moment and soak it in. These are real stories. They really happened. 
Jesus, the creator of people who spoke him into existence, walks in and he goes, what are you guys doing? What's all this? She's not dead. She's asleep. Can you imagine the doctors and the, the people doctoring thought when he said that? Oh, Jesus is so naive. This is what happens when you spend all your time studying the scriptures. You don't know the difference between life and death. The crowd laughed at him. So he made them all leave. And it wasn't a gentle moment. I'm adding that for emphasis. He made them all leave and he took the girl's father and his mother and his three disciples into the room where she was lying. He takes her dead hand. He said to her, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, get up. <laughs> he is one cool cat. Can you imagine what Peter, James, and John are doing? I get calming the storm with a word and maybe casting out 2,000 demons into pigs and having them run off a cliff. And, but she's pretty dead. I mean, she's a little bit purple. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and started walking around. <laughs> That's who that is. They were to say it in words because we don't have any other way of explaining what they felt, overwhelmed and totally amazed. <laughs> I bet. Thank you for language. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told, her, told them to give her something to eat. She's had a big day. <laughs> Feed her. And by the way, when Jesus says, or when this scripture, John, or uh, this is Mark, when Mark records this for us, and he wasn't there personally, but he heard it from Peter, we believe, and it says they were overwhelmed and totally amazed, he's not talking about mom and dad alone. He's talking about Peter, James, John, and mom and dad. The only one not shocked is the little girl in the king of kings, <laughs> the creator, the one who made her in the first place. <clears throat> Give her something to eat. What has God done for you? I mean, I know, I know a lot of you were saved at six and at VBS, but some of you have been on mission trips and you've seen the power of God. What's he done for you? What amazing, wonderful, unbelievable, loving, unexplained, ridiculous awesome, holy thing has God done in your presence so that you could be like the disciples and go, what's that? What just happened? These stories are remarkable. But only because we don't take time to actually think about what God has done in our lives. I mean, we really have allowed <clears throat> what Jesus did to be turned into a conversation about heaven and hell, not about life. This really is, and I know I say it every week, but I, I want you to either get frustrated and say, no, it's just about heaven and hell, or believe it. This is about walking with him. The reason Jesus stopped in that crowd when that woman touched him was because it wasn't enough for him to heal her body. He wanted a relationship with her. He could have kept going. She had what she wanted, but it was never about making her body whole. He wanted to give her an opportunity to get to know him personally. So while he's on his way to solve this wealthy man's problem, he stops and he looks her in the face. 
And he tells her that it wasn't the garment that made her well. It was that she placed her faith in him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you are not saved this morning because a pastor convinced you or you walked an aisle or a pastor baptized you or something like that or your parent prayed for you or somebody led you in the sinner's prayer. You are saved this morning because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's why you're saved. Or you're not saved, you just think you are. You see, it's about him. It's all about him. It's not mostly about him. It's not, it's not I don't know, mostly, mostly about him. It's all about him. And it's not about our ability to attract the lost. It's not about our ability to make better buildings or be entertaining. It's about telling people that this guy, this guy, although radical and he asks dumb questions and he's overwhelming and he shocks you with life, is worth following. Why are you a follower of Jesus or why are you not a follower of Jesus? I want to read you as Julie plays Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to, to, uh, to a city in, in to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction, affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their heads down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. For he shatters the door of bronze and cuts the, uh, two of the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful lives. And because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they draw near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds of, and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea uh, in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deeps. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in the evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and uh, they were at their wits' end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and they delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of people and praise him in the assembly of elders. He turns rivers into desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into a pool of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessings they multiply greatly, and he, gives, he does not let their livestock diminish. I'm almost done. 
when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes, but he raises up the needy out of their affliction and makes their family like flocks. The upright see it, and they're glad, and all the wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Listen, you are in one of the most precarious, we live in one of the most precarious situations a Christian can live. We are surrounded by pseudo-Christianity that is really humanness with a cross uh, tattooed to its rear end. Do you love Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus has done for you? and is doing in you? Do you proclaim his praise to those who will listen? Do you remember the the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God? Don't ever forget. Let's wrap up our time together by singing the hymn you sang earlier. Can we stand together? Let's sing together in one voice of the great faithfulness of God. Is thy faith been blessed beyond measure. You will die unless the rapture takes place. And we've talked about that before. I'm not sure that the fear of heights is better than dying. Going down, going up. Either way, if you are a child of God, you get heaven. You get Jesus. You get fellowship with God. And he's also blessed you in this life. When you go out there, don't give somebody a book about what somebody else said about Jesus. You tell them what he's done for you. You tell him what he's done for you. And if he hasn't done anything for you, if you haven't experienced that in your life, then get on your knees and meet him. Because it's real and it's personal. He's God. And he will stop his busy schedule on the way to a wealthy religious leader's house to talk with you. Lord Jesus, make us followers of your. Most of us are saved. Thank you for that. Now help us run back to you like this woman and get on our knees and experience your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Have a wonderful Sunday.